Hey gang, DC Matthews here. Episode 4 of the Neighborhood Podcast goes all over the place, as you might expect from me now. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you an idea of when you can expect what content, so that way you can fast forward and listen to only the parts that you want to hear, although I hope you listen to all of it. We're going to start our neighborhood discussing Chris Benoit, and he's really the reason I'm doing this intro part. If you don't want to hear any more talk about Chris Benoit, then by all means, skip to about the 7.30 mark, which is where the show will get a proper introduction. We'll talk about FanFest, and then around the 11-minute mark, I'll start the wrestling wrap-up, which is where I talk about the week that was in pro wrestling. Around the 20-minute mark, we'll move on to the DC Matthews Mid-Year Awards, which will take us pretty much half an hour. So if you're interested, if you have no interest in the... DC Matthews Mid-Year Awards, and how dare you, skip ahead to the 50-minute mark where we'll talk about the NAI draft. Are we all set? Are we all good? I hope so. Please enjoy The Neighborhood Podcast, Episode 4. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And now... This is the Neighborhood Podcast with New Age Insider's Chief of Staff, DC Matthews. My senior year of high school wasn't very good for automobile accidents. I myself got into my first accident my senior year of high school. I was driving home in between wrestling practice and play practice. Yes, I was on the wrestling team and in the drama club. And, fun fact, I was president of the French club. Hashtag nerd. I was on my way home in between wrestling practice and play practice, and it was snowy and icy and I was trying to make good time and wound up sliding and hitting a telephone pole. Thankfully, I was unhurt. I can't say the same for my car. Two of my classmates, one my age and one a year older, were killed in an automobile accident the fall of my senior year. And then there was my friend, and we will call her for the sake of this story, Allison. Allison and her younger sister were driving to school one morning when, I don't remember quite how, they drove off the road and careened into a grove of trees going downhill, and it was a fairly serious crash. And Allison suffered some head injuries, and she wasn't really quite the same. Now, you can suffer brain damage in a lot of different ways, and it has a significant effect on your personality. When Allison came back to school, she was angry, she was hostile, and she was emotional. She had a hard time coping. The relationship that she was in fizzled and died away pretty much right after graduation. Not that one should mourn too great the loss of a high school love. My apologies to those of you out there in high school. Trust me, it does get better. To the best of my knowledge right now, Allison only speaks with a handful of what was once a large group of high school friends. Her personality changes improved, but they were permanent. 
and she became, in many ways, an entirely different person than the one I grew up with. It is this fact, and this fact alone, that allows me to separate Chris Benoit, the wrestler, from Chris Benoit, the man. Do I understand or condone the actions he took a little over eight years ago? Of course not. Those were the acts of a madman, a calamitous course of catastrophes that have had cascading consequences that still plague us today, the least of which being John Cena. I did some research, and ProFight Database, ProFightDB.com, lists Chris Benoit's total matches at 943, and I'm guessing they've missed quite a bit. And if you've watched anything that Chris Benoit has done inside the squared circle, you know he wasn't going half speed for any of them. Suplexes, hard hits, chops, countless diving headbutts. I can say with confidence that Chris Benoit was involved in hundreds of car crash analogs with the years he spent entertaining and astounding us as a professional wrestler. If one car accident, albeit a severe one, caused a complete personality change in my friend Allison, what does a hundred car crashes do to the brains of all of these wrestlers? Now again, I feel I need to say... Openly and honestly, I am not condoning what Chris Benoit did. Obviously, there were psychological issues that stretched back further than his professional wrestling career. And we've had hundreds, if not thousands, of professional wrestlers involved in similar car crash analogs with no significant damage or atrocities to their name. However, I do think you need to consider the years and years of Benoit's strong style ring work had to have some factor in some small way to the actions of eight years ago. Now, I'm a little behind the times here because the boys talked about this about two weeks ago, but as they said on NAI Pod, WWE, along with sports in general, really the world in general, are not without their black sheep. Yet, I hope in time, we can look beyond the dark chapters of some of these stories to see the entire book, even if it's tainted, as a whole. So I choose to separate the wrestler of Chris Benoit from the man of Chris Benoit. I can appreciate the years he spent honing his craft the efforts he made to entertain us, and the positive figure that so many of his comrades say he was for the vast majority of his life. I can even view him as a Hall of Famer, despite the tragic way his life ended. It is my sincere hope that someday, in some way, WWE can do the same. With that slightly depressing introduction, my friends, I'd like to welcome you to the Neighborhood Podcast. My name is DC Matthews, at DC Matthews NAI, and I am the Chief of Staff of the New Age Insiders. Yes, that New Age Insiders. The same ones who were at New England Fan Fest 5, interviewed Bill Goldberg, among others, saw The Rock make his electrifying return to the World Wrestling Entertainment, got their tweets posted on Monday Night Raw not once but twice, and, as always, 
the premier place for wrestling fans to connect, discuss, and to be heard. Also, I should point out, NAI is the only place you can get your snazzy, official red or blue NAI t-shirts, only at NewAgeInsiders.com. I've bought one. Why haven't you? In case you've been locked in some sort of strange sensory deprivation chamber for the last 54 weeks, the New Age Insiders are Jason, I'm so excited I met my idol, I'm a pile of Gooberg, Maltoff, at New Age Insiders, Liam, I'm so bitter I missed seeing The Rock return, I might go on Stryker, at Liam NAI, and Bill, I'm so smooth at producing, I should be called Aaron Neville, at Bill Neville NAI. All right, be honest with me, people. How many of you actually got that Aaron Neville reference? Maybe what? Three of you? I loved hearing the boys talk about their FanFest experience this Wednesday on NAI Pod, and I submit to you, friends, that the five to seven minutes that Jason Maltov discussed meeting Bill Goldberg might be the best moments in NAI Pod history. Nay, nay, let me go further. It might be the best five to seven minutes in all of podcasting history. I've said this many times before in columns and possibly even on this podcast. It applies to the wrestling world and to the world at large. Ready? Take this down. Passion translates. You can tell that Jason was a true wrestling and Goldberg fan. And you could tell that Goldberg is a true and passionate nice guy. Plus, if you get the chance, look at the pictures. Look at the pictures of Jason and Goldberg together. If you really get the chance, see if you can track down the video of the two of them together. You'll see it. It's the first time I'm going to sing. Get ready, folks. Fanboy eyes. Jason has Goldberg in his sights. He's got fanboy eyes. That's a take on a song from Dirty Dancing, which is a movie some of you might not be old enough to see. This is episode four of the Neighborhood Podcast, and I seem to be getting the hang of this in terms of presentation and in terms of timing. As many of you know, I was recording these podcasts well before they were released on the NAI feed, which caused them to not necessarily be topical, and also caused me to sink into a fugue state, you can look that word up, wondering why nobody loved me, when in reality, just nobody had the chance to listen to the podcast. It wasn't out yet. Thanks to a spontaneous getaway with Mrs. Matthews, I seem to have found my rhythm. My Canadian crippler introduction may be a week behind, but we're going to spend the majority of today talking about recent events in wrestling, or at least everything that happened before Saturday. Being that Saturday is a American holiday, and most of us will be away from our microphones and computers, myself included. I'm recording this on Friday morning, so if anything really exciting happened on Saturday, hopefully the boys will talk about it on NAI Pod. All right, let's start with the Wrestle Wednesday wrap-up, which is where I'll talk about the events of the past week, specifically the ones that happened Wednesday in the world of wrestling. Now, because I was on my spontaneous getaway, I didn't see the entirety of Raw, and from looking around on Twitter, I don't think I missed a whole lot. I caught up with the second half of Cesaro versus John Cena, and I will go back and watch that match in its entirety, because I'm sure it was amazing. 
And in the future, I'm going to be writing my raw responses each week. I have neglected my duties as a writer because I've been so in love with this whole podcasting thing. So I'm going to keep certain columns sacred each week. One of them will be the raw response, so you can count on that sometime on Tuesdays. What did I take away from raw? Well, Cesaro is a stud. Let's not mix words. This guy is serious business. I also want to point out that Mrs. Matthews, who, as you all know, besides wondering about the diaper wearing of one Lex Luger, hasn't really been a big wrestling fan in all of the years I've known her, and we're coming up on, oh my, almost 15 years that I've known the beautiful and amazing Mrs. Matthews. But she, from our spontaneous getaway, actually found herself drawn in to the love rhombus that took place between Rusev, Summer Rae, Lana, and Dolph Ziggler. And yes, that is love rhombus. Triangle has three sides. Rhombus has four. Four people. I could have called it a love parallelogram, I suppose. Love rhombus sounds better. Sounds like a really bad college band. Many of you didn't like the love rhombus, as I'm going to continue to call it, hoping I get it to trend on Twitter. But it caught the attention of someone who normally doesn't watch wrestling, and so I think that's something that WWE wants to take advantage of. More on that later. I watched Ring of Honor, of course, and while the matches themselves were phenomenal, AJ Styles versus Adam Cole, excellent match, I do think that there's a problem with Best in the World having been two weeks ago and Ring of Honor putting on two weeks of television that had nothing to do with Best in the World. If you were watching from the beginning of when Ring of Honor was on Destination America, you finally got caught up with the stories enough so that maybe you spent the money for Best in the World or found some way to watch it and appreciated it very much. And then you had to deal with two weeks of them not talking about Jay Lethal, them not talking about Donovan Dijak, now, again, the matches were great. I loved the Addiction versus Okada and Gato as well. However, I do think that's a problem going forward. You're not talking about what's happening in the Ring of Honor wrestling canon. You're just showing old stuff. That's not good for business. I did post something on Twitter during the Addiction versus Okada and Gato match. I'm not in love with the Rainmaker as a finisher. I love Okada. I think he's excellent and totally worth the hype. And so I posted something on Twitter that said that the Rainmaker struck me more as a setup move than a finishing move. I got a little flack from some people, but I want to point out Bane of Wrestling, at Bane of Wrestling, member of the New Age Insiders team. He actually explained it to me. He took the time to explain that Okada spends a vast majority of his matches working over the neck and head area. So by the time he hits the Rainmaker, it actually makes sense as a finisher. I love what Bane did, and I thank him for that, because rather than just being snarky, rather than just making fun, rather than being stupid, if I may say so myself, Bane took the time to explain something to me, which made me a better wrestling fan. That's why I think he's a member of the NAI team. That's why I think Bane of Wrestling is a good guy, because he took the time to explain something. Not a lot of people do that. Again, I loved Adam Cole versus AJ Styles, and I am all in on the Adam Cole bandwagon. He walks like a pro wrestler. He looks like a pro wrestler. When he looks to the crowd, it screams pro wrestler. 
by WrestleMania 33, I'll give them a little bit of time. By WrestleMania 33, 2017, Adam Cole will be in WWE. I'm pretty much positive. Speaking of guys who hopefully will be in WWE soon, NXT, I enjoyed. I have an issue, though, and I'll talk about this for a few minutes because I mentioned it on Twitter again and got some flack for it. But in this case, I think I was deserving of said flack. I didn't get excited for the main event. Samoa Joe and Finn Balor versus Kevin Owens and Rhino. I didn't get into it. I'll even go one step further. I didn't watch the whole thing. I'm sure it was good, and I'm sure I'll go back and watch it at some point. But I didn't watch the whole thing. For whatever reason, I'm drawn to mid-card guys. I'm drawn to the secondary stories rather than the primary stories. I enjoyed Cesaro versus Cena. I enjoyed the eight-man tag featuring New Day and Bo Dallas. I didn't watch the main event of Monday Night Raw. I'm not as interested in what's going on with Rollins and Ambrose and Reigns. Call me crazy. I'm not as interested. I'm more interested in the characters and the stories that I don't know as much about. The ones that haven't been forced down our throats, so to speak. So my takeaways from NXT were, I'm super glad to see the villains back. I'm super glad to see them starting to get a push. I hope they go over on Enzo and Cass. I don't think they will, but I hope that they do. I love Chad Gable. I think what he's doing is hilarious, totally reminding me of Kurt Angle, which is just fine. I have no problem making that comparison. I do think, I said this before, I'm going to say it again, Jason Jordan and Chad Gable will be NXT Tag Team Champions before 2015 is over. Write it down, it's my prediction. And then, of course, we go to Bull Dempsey. I'm still torn. I hate the gimmick with a fiery passion. But I love what he and what William Regal are doing with it. William Regal, for the last 20 years or so, has proven to be one of wrestling's great comedy talents. He also happens to be one of wrestling's great wrestlers, but we'll talk about that sometime later, I'm sure. He was great with Tajiri. He was great with Eugene. He was great in WCW being Lord Stephen Regal. William Regal, Stephen Regal, call him what you will, is hilarious. And I'll give credit to Bull Dempsey. He is running with this gimmick. He looked like the little boy who got sent to the principal's office when Regal was chewing him out. If this results in Dempsey getting a serious push, I'm all for it. I don't know if it will, but I'm hopeful. Maybe too much so. Finally, I watched Lucha Underground. I wasn't that excited with Lucha Underground. I'm having a hard time getting interested in these stories as well. I like Mil Muertes. I like the darkness. I like the supernatural stuff. And maybe it's because I've accidentally stumbled across the spoilers from Ultima Lucha, but I'm just not as interested in Lucha Underground anymore. Alberto Del Rio looks angry. I don't really know why. He has the advantage over Johnny Mundo based on the all-night-long match. I don't understand why. Alberto El Patron is so upset. So I'm having a hard time with Lucha Underground. I'm still enjoying it, but this week was kind of meh for me. All right. It's time to look at the DC Matthews or DCM Mid-Year Wrestling Awards. Now, for those of you who share my love of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, they do 
year-end awards every year, and they also used to do, I don't know if they still do, they used to do mid-year awards where in July they would give awards to different talents based on their performances. And since Kevin Owens was voted Wrestler of the Year by Rolling Stone, I don't really know why, I thought it was high time for the DCM 2015 Mid-Year Wrestling Awards. I'm looking at all four major companies, WWE, NXT, Lucha Underground, and Ring of Honor, the four companies I watch. I'm also only basing my Ring of Honor picks on the brief bit of Ring of Honor that I've seen. If someday I go back and watch the first six months of Ring of Honor, perhaps I'll change my choices. Now, while we're on the subject of major companies, using my world-famous air quotes, let me take a little bit of time to have an aside on the news that TNA has lost their world title status, according to PWI Magazine. First of all, I think more people would be surprised that PWI Magazine is still around and that TNA is still around and that whether or not they have a world title. What does Pro Wrestling Illustrated matter anymore? You've got the internet. Who cares about a magazine? Of all of the things that TNA has to worry about right now, whether or not their title is considered a world title should be on page 24 next to, does craft service offer up enough ketchup packets? That's all I'm going to say about TNA. I'm not going to include them on my list because I don't watch. Here we go. Wrestler of the year. Lucha Underground, I have to give it to Prince Puma. He's been the champion for pretty much the entirety of 2015. He's been having quality matches night in and night out. He's not a huge name. I don't think Lucha Underground has done a great job of really making him their guy. They're focusing on their more recognizable names, like Johnny Mundo, Alberto El Patron. It's taking the focus off of Prince Puma, which is not a good thing, but he's their wrestler of the year. For Ring of Honor, I have to go with Jay Lethal. He had a great match with Kyle O'Reilly. He had a great match with Jay Briscoe. He's now holding their two singles titles. So I think it's safe to say that Jay Lethal is the wrestler of the half year. He's also doing their commercials for whatever he does the commercial for. Knee pain, back pain, whatever. So I'll give him the vote. NXT, this is the easiest one. Kevin Owens, he is the star of NXT right now. He's also one of the stars of WWE right now. And my winner overall from the WWE is John Cena. John Cena in the world of wrestling, to me, from what I watch, is the wrestler of the last six months. He's made a mid-card title relevant, so much so that the Intercontinental title doesn't even matter anymore. We had this discussion yesterday on Twitter. Should they combine the belts? Should they create some sort of new belt? The U.S. title is the secondary title, and the IC title is, for all intents and purposes, what the European title was back in the Attitude Era. So he's made the U.S. title relevant. He's helping to give lower card guys a shot. He just had a match of the year candidate with Cesaro, which brings his total of match of the year candidates up to close to double digits, if you count his house show in Boston, which Jason and Adam and Bill will say was a match of the year candidate. He's having match of the year candidates all the time. He's not in the main event anymore, which for him is a good thing. He's at that point. His star power is so high that he can make his feud a main event, even if it's not for the world title. 
And he obviously is actively working to be a better wrestler. And you can hate on him for it if you want. Why didn't he do that before? What's he been spending the last 10 years doing? Focus on the present. Promote positivity. He's a better wrestler now than perhaps he's ever been. And that's one of the reasons why he's my wrestler of the year. Tag Team of the Year! Lucha Underground doesn't have tag teams per se, so we'll give it to the trio of Son of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico. Uh, I'm giving it to them by default because there's not a whole lot of teams. What am I going to give it to the crew? I don't think so. Those three, which is basically Angelico and Friends, are the tag team trio of Lucha Underground so far. Uh, Ring of Honor, it's hard for me to say because I haven't watched enough. I'll give it to the Addiction just because they're the Ring of Honor tag champions. You can make a case for the Kingdom. You could make a case for the Young Bucks if you want to. I would listen to any of those arguments if you'd like to send them to me at DC Matthews NAI. I'm happy to be corrected on that. NXT, uh, their team of the year would be Enzo and Cass, I think. They haven't held the titles, but they're the most high-profile team. If it wasn't for the fact that there's not a whole lot of great teams in NXT, I think Enzo and Cass would already be in WWE that by now. Just take a minute and imagine an Enzo and Cass versus New Day feud. That's what we call a shut-up-and-take-my-money situation. My overall winner, Tag Team of the Year, also comes from WWE again, and it is New Day. Who would have thought that New Day would have become this loved slash hated when you first heard of this or saw those first promos. Oh, wait, you know who did? I did. Hashtag Heal DC. I called this. I told you that they were going to be good. I told you that them as faces was totally planned. This was all one big plan to get them to be heels because they would try to be positive. It wouldn't work and they would start to snap, as it were. Whether or not that's the case, I don't know. But New Day rocks, and I knew it, and I'm going to brag about it. Match of the Year. Uh, my match for WWE, I could go with Cena Owens, I could go with Cena Cesaro, but I'm going to go with the triple threat match from the Royal Rumble, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins. And I'm picking this one for a variety of reasons. Number one, this was the first match where we saw glimpses of new Cena. I don't know if he broke out his sixth move during that match, but he was pretty good from what I remember. Lesnar was Lesnar tossing people around. That's always fun to watch. And Seth Rollins really got the chance to shine in that match. He did a lot of really great things. That was the first time that you could look at Seth Rollins and say, okay, this guy's going to be a main eventer, regardless of what he did with the Shield Back in 2014, regardless of all of his feud with Ambrose at the end of the year, the Royal Rumble match was the first time I think people stood up and said, Seth Rollins is going to be a main eventer in this company. So that's why I'm picking it. My NXT match is Sasha Banks versus Becky Lynch from the last TakeOver. You really could have picked any one of the excellent women's matches going on in NXT. Any of the ones with Sasha and Charlotte would be good. I'm sure there was a Four Corners match that was good. Take your pick. But NXT is the only company that I'm seeing right now that's making women's wrestling at all interesting. 
From Lucha Underground, I have to go with Johnny Mundo versus Prince Puma in their all-night-long match. That match proved, I think, to a lot of people, myself included, that you could have a long match. We've seen long matches before. In fact, my winning match was a long match. But that match went on for the better part of an hour and held people's interest the entire time. It had to involve some extreme stuff, going outside the ring, ladders, tables, all of that. But they held our attention for the full hour of Lucha Underground. I hope other wrestling companies took note of that. My overall winner, I've been talking about this match since the first time I saw it, Jay Lethal versus Kyle O'Reilly. I can't remember a match that made me think more about Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels' Iron Man match from WrestleMania 12 than Lethal versus O'Reilly. It was amazing. It was incredible. It's my match of the year. Feud of the year. In NXT, you could go with Owens and Zayn, except they've really only had a handful of times out. Um, you could go with Owens and Alex Riley. That's actually an interesting choice, one that just popped into my head. I'm going to go with the entirety of the four horsewomen, Charlotte, Bailey, Becky Lynch, and Sasha Banks. Their feud with each other in its various incarnations, has been my feud of the year for NXT. It's a shame that that didn't get seen in WWE. It's an even bigger shame that it still might not. WWE, I have to go with Cena versus Owens. I could do Rollins-Ambrose kinds of carryover from 2014, but Cena versus Owens is what everybody's talking about right now. It's my feud of the year for WWE. Ring of Honor, again, not having watched a lot. I have to guess it's Jay Lethal versus Jay Briscoe. Anyone who's watched Ring of Honor and has a different answer, please share it with me on Twitter. Correct me if I'm wrong. My feud of the year overall, and this is an interesting choice. I think, if I'm being honest, part of me felt like I had to give all of the promotions some fair shake. So I went with Phoenix versus Mil Muertes. And the reason I picked it is, they really know how to make a gimmick match good. They're making the gimmick matches meaningful, and they're making them powerful, and they're making them exciting. They had their casket match. They had their death match, or whatever this last one was called, where Phoenix has disappeared for a while. Obviously, this feud's still going to keep going. I'm excited. That's my feud of the year. Most Improved Wrestler of the Year. Uh, I can't really give you an answer for Ring of Honor because I haven't watched for six months, so I don't know who's improved from January to June. I can tell you, and this is becoming quickly the Jay Lethal Love Hour, I can tell you that Jay Lethal has improved about a million-fold since when I saw him in TNA five, six years ago. But again, somebody who's a Ring of Honor expert, Willie Jones, if you're out there within the sound of my voice, please tell me who the most improved wrestler of the year in your mind is from Ring of Honor. NXT, I have to go with the current tag team champions, Blake and Murphy, and that solely might be the Alexa Bliss factor. Alexa Bliss right now reminds me a whole lot of what Sonny did in the 90s. Sonny could get with a tag team and immediately make them relevant just because she was a part of it. Blake and Murphy, despite being tag team champions, were not relevant at all. Now with Alexa Bliss in the mix, suddenly people are paying a lot more attention to them. I've been a big fan of Buddy Murphy. He was, right around December, one of my breakout stars for NXT. I love that he's a tag champ. I like what he and Wesley Blake are doing. But you got to 
count the bliss factor there. So they are my most improved team. Um, Lucha Underground, again, tricky for me to say. I'm going with Johnny Mundo for one simple factor. Johnny Mundo is such a better heel than he is a face. I'm remembering the early days of Lucha Underground where he's beating up the crew and threatening Dario Cueto and all of that kind of stuff. And it was fine, but Johnny Mundo is supposed to be a heel, despite what a nice guy he seemed to be at FanFest, according to the boys from NAI Pod. Johnny Mundo should be a heel. He is one now. That, in and of itself, makes him improved. My overall choice, I don't think there's anyone who can doubt it, Roman Reigns is proof positive that... Once you take the gas off of that force-you-down-your-throat kind of push, you let people develop on their own. Life gets much better. As soon as he lost to Brock Lesnar, doing well in that match, don't get me wrong, that was a good effort from him. But it seemed like once the pressure was off for him to be the guy, air quotes, the guy, he suddenly became much better. Every week, just like Jason Maltov and all of you keep saying, Every week, he's better than the week before. If they go with him winning the title at WrestleMania 32, I don't think a lot of people are going to have a problem with that now. Nice job, WWE. Woman of the Year. It's silly for me to do this category because I don't watch women's wrestling, but it was in PWI, so I'm including it. Let's get this over with. WWE, Nikki Bella by default because she's been the champion for a very long time. Women's wrestling in WWE is not very good right now. I almost gave this to Lana just because she's been high profile, but I'll go ahead and give it to Nikki by default. Ring of Honor, not a lot of women in Ring of Honor, I've noticed. I'm giving it to Maria by default. She took a bump at Best in the World. That, I think, pretty much sealed the deal for me. Um, Lucha Underground, again, not a lot of women. Going with Katrina. She's really their only manager, to the best of my knowledge, that I can think of. So Katrina's got a stable, it seems like. She's got a guy gunning for the Lucha Underground title. Had I done these awards in August, I think Katrina would have won the overall title. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But for now, she'll just have to settle for being Lucha Underground's Woman of the Year. Overall Woman of the Year, Sasha Banks. Come on. She's amazing in the ring. She's got a great gimmick. She's the, at this point, well, actually, as of lately, if you had to pick the face of women's wrestling for NXT, you'd pick Dana Brooke, and I'd throw up in my mouth a little bit. I'm going with Sasha Banks. This was close. She and Katrina was close. Sasha Banks, could she be the champion of the most competitive women's division ever? That's what sealed the deal for me. Personality of the Year. This category could be anybody. Could be a wrestler. Could be a manager. Could be an announcer. Just who I see as having the most exciting, most captivating, best personality in the company for the last six months. Ring of Honor. I'm actually going to pick a wrestler. I'm going with Mark Briscoe. You don't see whatever his gimmick is too often. You don't see the redneck gimmick without it becoming offensive or potentially dangerous. Um, I like him. I'm interested when he speaks. I don't know what he's saying, but I'm interested when he speaks. So he gets my vote for personality of the year. 
NXT, come on. Kevin Owens, he's the personality of the year. He's the best announcer NXT has, and he only announces one match a week, if that. If I couldn't pick Kevin Owens, I'd go with William Regal, who's amazing, but Kevin Owens is a once-in-a-generation talent. Lucha Underground, I'm going with Dario Cueto. This is what a heel authority figure should be right now. Forget Triple H and Stephanie and all of that. Dario Cueto's making the bad guy authority figure fun to watch again. And I didn't think I'd say that anytime soon. Um, for WWE, most of you are probably saying, oh, he's going to go with Paul Heyman. And I could, but I'm actually going with, uh, it was close. I'm going with two other choices. I almost went with Xavier Woods, who is owning this New Day thing. He's hilarious. I love him. But the personality of the year in all of wrestling goes to J&J Security. I love them. Even with broken ribs and all, they're killing it week in and week out. I wish they would have gotten a tag team title run out of this. You don't think Jamie Noble could still pull off decent matches? You don't think Joey Mercury could still pull off decent matches? You're wrong. They'd have been great. And this tag team division was weak for a while. Could have used them. J&J Security, my personality of the year. All right. Last one. Well, second to last one, really. Breakout star of the second half. This is my pie-in-the-sky pick, the one guy that I think will be a big star in the second half of the year. Lucha Underground, I have to go with Angelico. There's a lot of guys that are good, but Angelico's been doing the death-defying stuff. Um, I think he's going to get a singles run. I think he'll be challenging for the Lucha Underground title by the end of the year. That's my prediction on Helico, breakout star for Lucha Underground. WWE, I know this is silly of me, but I'm going with Cesaro. He's had really great matches. He and Kid were a great tag team. I'm going to hope Cesaro gets a chance at a singles push. At worst, he's a far better Intercontinental Champion than Ryback would ever be. NXT... Call me a homer if you want, but I'm going with Bull Dempsey. All right. I I don't like the gimmick, but he's killing it with it. He's hilarious. This is proof that Bull Dempsey, the monster heel, wasn't going to work. This guy's too funny to just be another monster heel. So if he runs with this gimmick, if he makes the most of it, He's going to get somewhere with it. That's what everyone has said. Regal said that, I think, when it came to the man's man gimmick. You know, when he was the lumberjack in WWE back in the late 90s, I think. It was a crap gimmick, but he tried to make the most of it because he knew if he made the most of it, he'd get noticed regardless of the crap gimmick. That's exactly what's going on with Bull Dempsey right now. The gimmick is dumb, but he's killing it. He's going to go far. My overall breakout star of the second half comes from Ring of Honor. And sorry, friends. It's not Cheeseburger. It's Warbeard Hansen. This guy screams main event talent to me. He's part of a tag team now, which is great, and maybe he'll just be a tag team guy for now, which is fine. He could be tag champions by the end of 2015, and that would be a breakout role for him. But I think Todd Warbeard Hansen is a main event single star in waiting. A lot of you would say Donovan Dijak. I don't doubt that. But I'm going to go with Warbeard Hansen, another NAI favorite who's been interviewed by the boys once or twice. I think he's a big deal. All right, the final thing I want to do, it's not an award, but I want to look forward and I want to give some steps to success for 
these four companies? What do I think these companies need to do to get to the next level? Lucha Underground. What they need to do to get to the next level is they need to tape or go on tour more often. I don't think Lucha Underground goes on tour at all, which really is fine if that's the way they want to go, but they need to tape more often. I've known what's going to happen at Ultima Lucha in when, with regards to the titles for two or three months now, which means that they taped Ultima Lucha back in April, March, maybe even. That's not good. I shouldn't be able to find out what happens in your wrestling company four months early. It shouldn't happen. If they're going to do pay-per-view, using my air quotes again, if they're going to do pay-per-views, they need to do them close, as close to live as possible. So that's what Lucha Underground needs to do. Ring of Honor, I've said it before, I'll say it again. They need to introduce us to these talents. They obviously had this TV deal dropped in their lap. It's the only reason I can explain why I had to watch recap shows for the last two weeks instead of getting fallout from Best in the World. They need to take some time, introduce us to these talents, get us really bought into the program. The wrestling's great, and people will watch just based on the wrestling, but you'll get rabid fan support if they have a reason to buy into these talents. NXT. NXT's in trouble right now, I think. They've got this top layer, cream of the crop guys, your Joes, your Ballers, your Owens. But in six months, they're gone. They're all going to be in WWE. If Samoa Joe makes it to WWE, this might just be something fun for him to do. But in six months, these guys are not going to be in NXT anymore. Who are the stars that are going to replace them? You've got Tyler Breeze, who hopefully, if it's a just and loving world, will be in WWE as well. But who replaces them? Baron Corbin? Bull Dempsey? Uha Nation? I suppose it would be Uha Nation, but who does he fight? You've got a top level of NXT guys, your quad A, to use the baseball reference, the guys who are too good for AAA, but not yet in the major leagues. You've got your quad A guys, and then you've got nobody. This is a problem. This is what NXT needs to do for the next six months. Stop putting Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, and Finn Balor all over your television screen. Start developing new talent. Besides who the guys I listed, Corbin, Dempsey, and Uha Nation, all your other guys are in tag teams. Chad Gable could be a single star. Jason Jordan could be a single star, but they're obviously going to be a tag team. You could make a case that Big Cass could be a single star. He's in a tag team. Blake and Murphy, tag team. Vaudevillains, tag team. NXT's in trouble once these guys get up to the majors. They're going to take a big step back. People are going to stop watching because NXT will actually be developmental again. And obviously, that's not what people want to see. WWE, in order to take steps to move forward, they need to start focusing on other talent. They can't keep focusing on the same half a dozen guys. Where is Luke Harper? Where is Cesaro? I know where Cesaro is, but what happened to Jack Swagger? What happened to Fandango? I'm not saying that the company is going to rise and fall based on Fandango. Don't get me wrong. But you're not developing new stars. This is a problem. 
Same kind of thing. You've got to let those lower talents have a chance to show whether or not they're ready for the main event or at least mid-card status. John Cena is not going to be U.S. champion forever. When Kevin Owen wins, who does he fight? Roman Reigns? Bray Wyatt? Maybe. One other thing that WWE could do to succeed is to use their network, as well as their position of power having two cable shows, to appeal to multiple demographics. And this is the conversation that the boys were having on the podcast on Wednesday. There's a problem. WWE is trying to appeal to two main demographics, the kids, and I'm a teacher. I've noticed a significant increase in the number of WWE shirts in my classroom. Obviously, kids are a major part of their audience. Fun fact, when I see a WWE shirt on a kid in my school, I ask them who their favorite wrestlers are, and I get a lot of John Cena. I even get some Roman Reigns. But you know who the favorite wrestler of kids is in my classrooms? The Undertaker. Think about that for a minute. I'm also going to include the families of these children. And there's no denying that WWE is trying to be a family show. This is why we have all of these guest stars to attract a wider audience to the show. Now, Jason said that WWE isn't Saturday Night Live or The Late Show or The Tonight Show or anything like that. But you have to believe that Vince would give most of his non-essential organs if Monday Night Raw could be used in the same breath as those juggernauts. You don't think Vince McMahon wants WWE to be like a Saturday Night Live? If To be a pit stop for major celebrities to pitch their movies or their TV shows and maybe have some more fun than just sitting on a couch for six minutes? That's absolutely what Vince would love to do with Monday Night Raw. Besides the kiddos, the other major demographic is, of course, the 18 to 34-year-olds, specifically the males, who also happen to be the ideal audience for pretty much any other show in the world. For WWE, let's adjust that to include the smart fans, air quotes, from the online world. As we've seen, we've got people who fit outside that demographic. I'm actually coming dangerously close to being outside that demographic myself. The problem is, as the boys talked about on the podcast, these are two different groups with two very different expectations and desires from their pro wrestling, the variety show and the wrestling show. They've been trying to combine the two and it's not working, so why not differentiate? I know a lot of people don't like the idea of a brand extension, but humor me and come along on a little thought experiment. WWE has two shows on cable. Their flagship show, Monday Night Raw, and the other show that nobody watches. SmackDown's pretty much an afterthought at this point, because... All it does is have recaps of what happened on Raw or some slight variation of the matches that happened on Raw. That's two hours of mainstream television programming that you're essentially flushing down the proverbial toilet. WWE even has a network, unlimited hours of potential programming with a very different set of standards and practices. They don't have to appeal to the USA censors. They don't have to appeal to the sci-fi censors. They are their own censors on WWE Network. Why couldn't WWE have a PG show, Monday Night Raw, and then have a show that's intended for more mature audiences? A variety show, and a separate, and maybe not equal, but slightly equal, 
wrestling show. Shocking concept, I grant you. You wouldn't even need to have two different rosters, necessarily. You could have guys that go back and forth between the two, although I imagine the storylines would be different depending on the show. I don't think we need to bring back people being crucified, people being Playboy centerfolds. I don't even think we need to see an overt use of blood. As Liam said, people who want to see a wrestling-focused program are turning their eyes elsewhere, away from WWE. And while they still might be paying their $9.99 a month, it's the best deal in wrestling right now. If I'm Vince or Triple H, I want to hoard eyes. What do I mean by that? I want to keep as much of your attention as possible. If I can provide a product that is equal, if not superior, from a production value to Ring of Honor or to Lucha Underground, a lot of people will not seek it out anymore. They'll just watch WWE. Creating a wrestling brand show or promotion would do that. Just imagine. Dolph Ziggler. Cesaro. Luke Harper. The Matadors, who are good wrestlers, take the masks off, let them be Primo and Epico or whoever. Take all of those guys that aren't getting a chance in WWE and give them a chance to have great matches night in and night out. Please, go on Twitter and tell me where's the harm in that. All right, the final topic for today's Neighborhood Podcast, and I thank you for sticking with me for the better part of an hour, is we're going to talk about the NAI draft. Now, let me tell you a quick story if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Sometime in the winter, two friends and I, Adam and DJ, if you're a NAI member, if you're a member of the neighborhood, you know who they are. We were just chatting about a fantasy roster, and if you could draft people, who would it be? It was just a simple conversation, which evolved into an actual three-team fantasy draft. We did it all through email. It didn't work well because we don't know how to hit reply all. But we had a great time. We drafted, I think we did 25 rounds, and I wrote an article about it. You can find it on NAI if you're interested. Well, it's been about six months. The wrestling world has changed significantly in that time. So Adam, DJ, and I have decided, let's bring it back. NAI Draft 2.0. We're expanding. We're making it bigger. We're growing, just like the New Age Insiders are growing. Our first draft involved solely WWE. We are now expanding it to the world of wrestling at large. The original draft had three teams. We are expanding it now to pools of eight teams. And the reason I say pools of eight teams is we have enough interest where, as of right now, Friday morning at around 8 a.m., we have two pools going, almost full. Before I ask for your interest, before I ask you to let me know if you're interested, let me go over the rules so we're all on the same page. First and foremost, myself, DJ and Adam are the NAI Draft Tribunal. All decisions and rulings will come through us. If you don't like it, Heal DC coming at you again. Make your own draft. I'm actually serious when I say that. If you don't like our rules and want to do a different version of it, it's a free country, go ahead. You can make your own draft. You can make your own website. You can make your own podcast. I encourage you to do all of those things. We want you to be heard, so be heard. The goal of the NAI draft, you are drafting a wrestling promotion which will operate for 
hypothetically for the purposes of our draft, the next 10 years. You should use this information to help you decide on who to pick. If this was a one-year draft, Tyson Kidd wouldn't be a choice because he's going to be injured that entire time. But it's a 10-year draft. Will Tyson Kidd be able to come back enough to make him a worthwhile pick for the years 2 through 10? He might. Interesting to think about. Brock Lesnar, probably only going to be around for another three years. Is it worth using a high round draft pick on Brock Lesnar when you know that he's not going to do you any favors years five through ten? You can choose any personality from any wrestling promotion. If you want to pick a guy that nobody's heard of, that's fine. Go for it. And when I say personality, I mean wrestler, manager, announcer, referee, valet, ring crew guy, I suppose, if you want to pick one of them. I don't see why not. Go for it. Here's another rule. Active, and I stress that word, active, tag teams and trios can be drafted as a single unit, even if you plan on breaking them up immediately. I took advantage of this in the original draft. Cesaro and Tyson Kidd, who had just started to team up at that point, was one of my high round picks because I was going to use Cesaro as a single star. Tyson Kidd's a very serviceable hand. I got two talents for the price of one. Now let's define the term active. By using the word active, I mean teams or trios who regularly partner together in the quest for tag team gold. Kadaro is a tag team. Ambrains is not. You cannot draft Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns together just because they've happened to team up once or twice. They've never fought for the tag team titles that I know of. They don't count as an official tag team. I shouldn't need to say this, but as a teacher, when has that ever stopped me from going over the rules one more time? You cannot draft an entire stable. Don't try drafting the Bullet Club. It won't work. You want to draft the Young Bucks? Fine. You want to draft Gallows and Carl Anderson? Fine. You can't have the entire Bullet Club. This will be operated as a snake draft. For those of you who don't follow fantasy sports, let me explain for a minute what a snake draft is. There's eight teams or eight drafters per pool. They're randomly selected into a draft order one through eight. Whoever has the final pick of the first round also has the first pick of the second round. So it goes all the way down the line, and then it goes back the other way. All right? So if you pick first, you get the first pick, which is great. You don't pick again until pick 16. There's pros and cons for any part of the draft order that you're in. Draft order will be done randomly and announced on Monday. I plan on having the NAI Draft 2.0 officially begin following this coming week's NAI pod, which puts it at the around the 8th or 9th of the month. Let me say this here and now. This is not a short draft. For many other sports, you have a draft that lasts an hour or one night. This is not what that is. I'm not going to ask myself or any of you to devote an entire evening of your time to draft. This is a long-term draft. 
What I mean by that is it's going to take a while. Drafting will be done on Twitter. I will be assigning a hashtag for each pool that you will use to indicate your pick. I will also create a master spreadsheet on Google Docs, which will be shared with everyone in your draft pool so that you can keep track of who has been drafted by which team. You will use the hashtag to indicate your pick. So if I have the first pick and I'm going with Kevin Owens, who is probably going to be a first pick by many of you, I would use hashtag NAI draft A, if that's the hashtag I haven't created it yet. And then I would list my guy. If I want to add a comment or two with 140 characters, I can do that as well. If you want to be helpful, go into the master spreadsheet that I share with you, put in your pick there so that way I don't have to do it. Everyone will have 48 hours to make their pick. I don't think it will take that long, but again, I'm not asking you to devote all of your personal time to this. I want this to work with your schedule, so you're going to have 48 hours to make your pick. Failure to make your pick in a 48-hour window will result in you drafting the big show. No, I'm kidding. That would be horrible and a punishment for some of you worse than death. Seriously, though, if you don't make your pick within the 48-hour window, you forfeit your pick and you have to pick somebody at the end of the draft once everybody else has drafted. When the draft is over, it will be highly encouraged for you to write about your experiences on NewAgeInsiders.com. Share your story. Why did you make the picks you made? How do you feel about your roster? What would your moves be? Who would your champion be? What would your feuds be? Anything like that. If you have questions about this draft, if I have missed something, and hopefully I haven't because this took about three hours of my evening yesterday to try to get all these rules together, but if I've missed something, if you have questions, at DC Matthews NAI. Use the hashtag NAI draft, and let's have some fun. This is supposed to be fun, so hopefully we'll have a good time, and hopefully this will be something we do once or twice a year as part of our neighborhood. And so, neighbors, as we cross the hour mark of our time together, I want to thank you for being a part of the Neighborhood Podcast. I want to thank you for your friendship and support, both on Twitter, on the website, newageinsiders.com, and in life in general. And as always, my friends, I will see you around the neighborhood.